Hey kids, your old pal Sanders checking in. No two sorry excuses this week. We are on hiatus as Liv celebrates Mardi Gras. But have no fear. Good pal of the podcast, Roscoe, joins me to chat a little Jersey, talk a little Bruce, and introduce a little side project. So with apologies to Girk's brother. You are listening to the Two Sorry Excuses podcast. And for that, I apologize. Hello and greetings from Asbury Park. We are the Sweatsock Pimps. I am Broadway Mary. He is Joan Fontaine. And for those of you who are expecting the two Sorry Excuses podcast, must apologize. This crossover podcast is hijacking your normal Two Sorry Excuses programming. I am your old buddy Sanders, but your good pal Liv is no longer with us. Or I should say he's not with us today. That's probably yeah, more accurate. Yeah, that would be pretty, like, Liv's still here. <laughs> <laughs> he's just not here right now. <laughs> and there's a couple ways to address that. When I was a little kid, my mom used to watch the um, soap operas, the old, uh, the old soaps, as they say. And uh, General Hospital was one of her favorites, and thus one of my favorites as well. And there was a character <laughs> who who got replaced mid-show. But I think he was coming back, and they'd always say, anytime the character would walk onto screen for the first time, they would say, uh, the role of Alan Quartermain is being played by Jack Pardee. You know, so it kind of alerted you to the fact that it wasn't the normal Alan or Edward Quartermain or whatever. The other way you can do it is just pretend that character never existed. And that's what Happy Days did to the older brother, Chuck. I don't know if Happy Days oh, before Rich, your... Richie's brother? Yeah, Richie's brother. Had an older brother, Chuck, right? So two things about the Happy Days uh, from season one to season two that I always found amazing. One was that the door mysteriously moved from one side of the house to the other side of the house. <laughs> On on the first season, the door was on the west side of the house. And then in season two, it miraculously moved, moved to the second side of the house. Now, the reason I know they just didn't change the camera angle was because the stairs stayed in the same exact place, which is a little bit of a mind fuck for a seven-year-old kid. <laughs> but the other thing Happy Days did was they just got rid of the older brother, Chuck. They didn't just, even... Oh, Sorry. Yeah, that's, don't apologize. You can just we'll speak over each other. We'll be a bunch of morons. This should be a lot easier because we are in the same house, and <laughs> we should be able to sit next to each other. But since I'm so technologically inept for a guy who prides himself on being technologically advanced, the only way we're getting this podcast done is by me sitting in the living room downstairs and you sitting upstairs in the office in two separate parts of the house so we don't get feedback because instead of just plugging in two mics into the garage band audio we have to do this over Skype. <laughs> well, I mean it's 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 working. We're we're making do literally right now. So Yes. Yes. So no my can po- complain. My but, apologies to you for uh I want not to jump back, to though, this. when you sent Quartermain. That reminds me of the League of Extraordinary uh, Gentlemen, Alan Quartermain. Uh, okay, yeah, and I think that was the, that was the spoof in the 
um, in the soap opera was that the Quartermain family was the most powerful family in this town. And the guy's name was Alan Quartermain. So um, who in, in League of Ex- Extraordinary Gentlemen was Sean Connery? Sean Connery was Quartermain. Was yeah. Quartermain. Alan Quartermain, right? Yep. Who I didn't realize. I saw that movie and it's it it's a collection of of literary heroes, right? Yeah, it's like literary heroes and um graphic novels. So there's like Dorian Gray, um uh Jekyll and Hyde, who uh who's the lady? I think she's Van Helsing's wife. It's a bunch of like literary, you know, just through throughout time from like the 1850s until like probably the early 1900s and it's kind of everyone just thrown in together right 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 right. okay um but we digress we digress um so how do we address the fact that Liv is not here I think we're gonna go happy days and just not even address it just Liv was here yesterday he's not here today the door's on the other side of the house accept it don't accept it Hope he's back soon. That's uh, I think that's kind of how we're going to do it. But I've always had this idea to have another project, you know? Right. No, uh, and I wouldn't consider my art myself an artist, but you know how, like, a musician um, is never happy with, like, the band he's fronting. He always wants a side project, you know? Right. I don't know what it is, but... I, I just I wanted a different I want a side project right and this is no this is no slight to live um, I love doing those podcasts and and I hopefully we're coming up on episode 100 I don't you know I hope we do 100 more but um, I've been itching to do something a little more local and what's more local than Bruce Springsteen right boss so I've I've had this idea to put together like this Bruce Springsteen podcast and um. I'm a newbie, despite the fact that I was born and raised in Jersey. Uh, I wasn't always a Bruce Springsteen fan. Jackson. So I, um, I've just recently gotten into Bruce, and I thought it would be cool to to have a podcast that kind of talks about like Bruce as a you know as an artist and his effect and his music and his 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 whatever. There's a hundred of those podcasts out there, but whatever. I wanted to do one, but I couldn't find anybody to do it with until, until you and I realized that we share a mutual admiration for, for Bruce, right. which is odd to me because in my mind, only people from Jersey love Bruce. Um, uh, that's where I, I want to throw a wrench into it. Um, it might be people from Jersey, but, uh, anyone who grows up admiring Guy Vincent, uh, loves Bruce Springsteen more than any artist in the entire world. Yeah, so I didn't realize he loved Bruce either. Oh, he's been beating it into me since I was six or seven. All right, that's interesting. That's interesting. Um, one of the other things, um, despite the fact that this is going to be a new podcast, going to be a crossover podcast, we like to keep a couple things near and dear uh, to the Two Sorry Excuses hearts. And apparently, you have adopted Liv's fidgetiness. Is that a word? Fidgetiness? Well, if it's not, we'll make it a word. Okay. Um, so, wherever your microphone is now is rubbing against something. All right. Got it. 
Okay. You don't necessarily need to be louder because I think your volume is perfect. But no, um, no, it, it, it's sitting against my sweater, so it's probably rubbing. Yeah, so it sounds like you're crumbling papers <laughs> and uh, shoving them under your armpits. <laughs> I got it. In, so, I got it in the perfect spot right now. All right, good. It wouldn't be a too sorry excuses themed podcast if we didn't have a technical difficulty as such. So uh, don't take offense. That's just uh, that's just the way it works, and we're not going to cut that out. We're going to leave that right in there. Print it. Move on. Um, so. A couple things. Apologies to uh, to live for um, for shoehorning this solo project into the two sorry excuses framework. Um, apologies to you for taking so long to get this thing set up. I apologize. I imagine at this point the you know the uh, the bloom is off the rose, and it's like let's just get this over with. This thing fucking is ridiculous. No, it's all good. Also, apologies to the listeners for hijacking your Two Sorry Excuses podcast, and obviously with apologies to to Girk's brother. Um, Also, apologies to the listeners, um, and apologies to you, Roscoe, for holding you up. Um, At some point, I imagine, at some point, I imagine we're going to have to cut your wine consumption off. Oh, screw that. That's not happening. <laughs> if we uh, want to make it through this podcast. Because in holding you up, I added at least two or three glasses of wine to the mix, which was not my intention, and I apologize for that. I, w- I would probably go with three at this point. <laughs> um, but it's fine. So- I can't get to the wine in the kitchen right now. So we're, pr- we're pretty much good. I'm going to sober up in the next like, 15, 20 minutes. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. Um, well, the reason, or I don't want to say the reason, I guess it's the um, the genesis of this podcast is not only a mutual attraction or a mutual admiration for Bruce Springsteen, uh, it's an actual Bruce Springsteen outing. Right. So I'm friends with a couple guys who are huge Bruce Springsteen fans, and they've been Bruce Springsteen fans forever. And recently... I had confided in them that I had started to get into Bruce. And I guess it's like anything. Like, imagine, remember, remember the first time, um, you know, like an outsider came up to you and was like, I love Syracuse basketball. Or somebody right. was like, I love lacrosse. And you're like, like, no shit. Isn't Sorry that a good, I swore. <laughs> isn't that a good feeling? Yeah, you're like, oh, you finally just got into this. <laughs> you know, like you want to share your passion with them. So you like, you know, you sit down and you watch that movie. What's that movie that makes you cry? Uh, well, I cry every time at Rudy. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. The lacrosse movie. The Syracuse lacrosse movie. Oh, The Lost Trophy? It's, yeah. Without a doubt, the best documentary of all time. Like, I literally, I get into like the fetal position and start to shake and cry. Because right. it's Syracuse lacrosse, so I, I think love you, it. Like it's it's amazing. You and I had a conversation, and, and I was like, "Hey, didn't Native Americans play lacrosse?" And you're like, "What lacrosse? You love lacrosse too?" <laughs> yeah. And I was like, "No, no, I was just wondering." You're like, "You got to sit down and watch this," and then you know you were like quick to the button because it's on your favorites, and there's a whole movie <laughs> about lacrosse, right? Yeah, but I I mean I grew up in Central yeah. New York. I mean yeah. I grew up in Syracuse, so. Lacrosse is like born and bred in you, so it's it's one of those things. Like, so I always think like you know, especially where we live now, you know, the Stone Pony is five blocks away from us. 
So everyone thinks about Stone Pony Springsteen, you know, like it's one of those things or, you know, something in like Statue of Liberty in New York, like in upstate New York and central New York, lacrosse, like you just, you're born and bred to do it. Like that's, it's inundated in your memory from like the age of four or five. Like the second you can pick up a stick, you start playing. It's just part of you. Like if I'd grown, if I'd grown up where we are right now, I would love Bruce Springsteen from the age of four. I grew up in Syracuse, so I love lacrosse. And then I had to learn to grow and love Bruce Springsteen. And now I live five blocks away from where. Yeah. Okay, so that's kind of how it works in Jersey, right? So Jersey is uh, – Bruce is lacrosse to New Jerseyans as – no. <laughs> Bruce – yeah. Bruce is to New Jerseyans what lacrosse is to New Yorkers, upstate New Yorkers, right? Okay. So when I expressed the fact that I was kind of into Bruce, these guys went crazy. They're like, oh, my God, here you go. They gave me a bunch of live bootlegs to listen to and kind of indoctrinated me into the news uh, newsletter cycle that they were in and showed me a bunch of sites to listen to, which is cool, but I'm not super passionate about anything. Even the things that like I'm most passionate about, I'm not that passionate about. Right. You know what I mean? But it was cool. It was something we could talk about. It was it was a pretty cool deal. So when the when the um Springsteen tour was announced and tickets went on sale, these guys were like, hey, you want to get in on our on our ticket buying group, which sounds like a pretty good deal, right? right. It's like a bunch of guys get in together. We're going to try to pool our resources and we're going to uh, we're going to buy tickets. But the way they do it is almost like a cartel, not a cartel, like a conglomerate. So they say person X is going to buy. Um, tickets at venue number one. Person Y is going to buy tickets at venue number two. Person Z is going to buy tickets at, at venue number three. And then we're going to swap tickets and we're all going to enjoy these shows. Problem is when you're the new guy on the totem pole, the low man on the totem pole, you get stuck with the worst venue. So person X gets tickets to Madison Square Garden. Person Y gets tickets to the Prudential Center. Uh, which are both local venues, and then I get stuck with the next closest venue, which is Albany. <laughs> For Christ's sakes, Albany. Before this trip, I'd never been to Albany, and after this trip, I don't ever want to go back to Albany again. Yeah, I'm never going back to Albany. I mean, I, I agree with you. It's, like, it, it, it's kind of like a cartel. <laughs> right? It's like, we're going to, if you do this, we'll let you into our little group. But what is that little group? That you guys get tickets to the Prudential Center or to MSG, and we have to drive three hours away to go to Albany? <laughs> right, because here's the rub. You never get four tickets to MSG. You never get four tickets to Prudential Center. No, what, I mean, what do, they, what do they sell out this year? In, like, less than five minutes, Prudential Center and MSG were gone. <laughs> no doubt. But guess where there were tons of tickets? Uh, Albany. Albany, right? <laughs> Oh, also Rochester and Buffalo. <laughs> Other great cities to go see a venue. <laughs> right. So we end up with these tickets to Albany. And I don't know, in November, it didn't seem like such a bad idea. 
Um, in snow season, it became a big deal. <laughs> on Monday, February 8th, when I woke up and the outside temperature was 8 degrees and it was snowing, I was like, what the fuck are we doing? <laughs> well, remember that. Like, yeah, so that was Monday. So I was at – I had to go to that interview and rush back to then jump in the car to drive three hours to go see Springsteen. Which is a concert that you know is going to be three, three and a half, four hours long, and then go, okay, we have to drive three hours back. <laughs> right. So I, we didn't set ourselves up very well because your interview was at two. You were getting home at like 3.30. So we were going to be a little bit under the gun on the way up there. Right. But whatever. We were going to make it work. No issue. What we couldn't account for which I actually tried to account for was weather. And I looked at the weather report and there was no snow on the forecast, but it was snowing in Jersey. Excuse me. It was snowing in Jersey in the morning. And I was like, all right, let me jump on StubHub and see if I could unload these tickets. Just out of curiosity. Right. Right. I go on StubHub. Tickets are already selling below face value. <laughs> right. We've already fucking, paid it at this point. Yeah. It's <laughs> Albany. Yeah. You know, nobody's nobody wants to go to Albany. So <laughs> I'm like, all right, I resign myself to the fact we're going, we're going. And a little bit of this is <laughs> a little bit of this is we have no choice. But the other is is a is a little bit of like a personal goal of mine to quit being such a pussy. Right. right. I said I was going to Bruce. I want to go to Bruce. I'm going to have fun when I'm at Bruce. Quit worrying about all the shit leading up to that and just go, right? Who cares that it's a Monday night? I'm 42 years old. I don't have to go to school tomorrow. <laughs> right. I'll find a way to call in. You know? So quick, quick turnaround. I was able to shake, shake myself out of, that, out of that mindset really easily. Well, but, remember, though, it was, it was my first uh, spring scene concert ever. Okay. After 30 years of my brother inundating me with Springsteen, I'd never been. I was so pumped to go. And I was like, oh, I'm going with Salmon. Like, you know, you're like best friends with my brother. You know, I've known you since I was, what, 18 or 19. Um, it was like, oh. And, and I'm not going to lie. That played a pretty a pretty decent role into the in the equation because um, – you know, it wasn't like I was just going with myself or I would have bailed on those other guys easily. Right. <laughs> you know, um, but I was like, no, no, I'm going to have a good time. One, because I'm going to Bruce, but two, because I'm going with Roscoe. We're going to have a good time. And so we go up. Everything's cool. It's no problem. We're zipping along until we get like to Kingston, like an hour outside of Albany and start right. snowing. I don't know where. Just like, what the fuck? <laughs> it's true. It, it literally did come out of nowhere. It was like, okay, it's a little windy. Like, oh, wait, why is why is this snow just like just coming down out of nowhere? Like, it's like inch upon inch. Like, you know, it was literally like a whiteout at that point. Remember, like, the, the plows were out and they weren't, they weren't really actually even plowing. They were just dumping salt out. Yeah. And somehow they had it on like whatever uh, you know whatever setting they have that went three lanes wide instead of one lane, 
and we're just dumping salt out. And I always get nervous passing the plow because when I was a freshman, I was driving home with Tara Fox on spring break and it was snowing. Foxy. She busted past a plow and no lie, quarter of a mile later, we were we were butt ass north heading on a southbound <laughs> road off on the side hit a overpass so i never like to pass the plow because behind the plow is where the good traction is right right so i white knuckled it a little bit i don't know if i played it cool or not or or if you could see through it but i was a little nervous i think you're i think you're fine i mean we obviously granted like slowed down a little bit but like at this point what's gonna happen like just drive you know yeah I think you were kind of like, eh, part of my language, but you're like, fuck it, I'm just doing it. Like, yeah, yeah, exactly, right? You know, I'm not driving 85. I might drive 60. You know, it's it's not like you were being like an ass or anything about it. You're like, eh, whatever, I'm just gonna do it. <laughs> Although whatever. at one point we 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 caught up to another plow, and that plow did have his plow down, and I was like, Roscoe, does that guy have his plow down? And and you're like. Uh, I think so. And I was like, I better slow down. Because <laughs> if there's enough snow on the ground to plow, I, I probably should be going less than 60. You know? No, not, not at all. Not at all. <laughs> I just keep going. Keep going. <laughs> so so we get to Albany. That Those roads sucked. That off-ramp sucked. And the 768 or whatever it was that we were getting on, that sucked. And then we pull into downtown Albany, and that sucked. Oh, but that was right. That, that's right. That When we got off the through eight. You're right. The the Albany highways were absolutely terrible. Like, they were just covered in snow. Yeah. It was like they dumped more snow. (laughs) Right. (laughs) They were like, we don't know what to do. Let's just put more snow down. Like, let's take the snow from the thruway and put it on our regular highways. Right. That's what we'll do. We're going to help the state out by taking the snow from the thruway and putting it in our city. You know? Right. <laughs> it's like Albany, New York's bitch. <laughs> New York's bitch. Well, it completely is New York's bitch. It's like the, one of the worst fucking cities in the entire world. <laughs> and it was funny. We pull in and you're like, I was like, I've never been here. And you're like, oh my God, it's horrible. Um, the buildings suck. They all look like government buildings. And, and it's just, it's really drab and it's gross. So we pull off the... I felt like a dick, but we pull off the the exit, right? And what do you see right when you pull off the exit is this, like, grand gothic castle building. It looks like it looks like Buckingham Palace or something. And I was like, whoa, that's a pretty cool-looking building. And it sounded like I was calling you out for being, you know, too down on Albany. And you're like, well, I mean, I guess one of their buildings has to be nice. Yeah, exactly. I guess this... It's the state capital. It's like the only cool building in Albany in the entire town. Right. right. <laughs> and that's like from growing up in Syracuse, which everyone makes fun of Syracuse, even though everyone loves Syracuse. But if there if there could possibly be a town that's worse than Syracuse, it's Albany. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you what, man. It was a pretty drab town. Um, but... It redeemed itself in my eyes because I think we made the smart move by saying, listen, let's just find the first parking spot that we don't mind walking to the arena. And this point, it's like 745. 
we know that he's going on around eight. That's kind of been the his mo for this entire tour so we got a few minutes to play with but you know if we're gonna walk a quarter mile we at least need five minutes you know and then to get to our seats or whatever so we took a couple um loop-de-loops around the block or down some side streets uh we got psyched for a minute because that parking spot that we thought we were gonna get ended up being like a restricted spot or a permitted spot or whatever right but that caused us to go around the block which bought us some time until a spot opened up right on Pearl Street. And that's like the main street that goes right through Albany. And it couldn't have been better, man. Free parking, no meters, right on the street, far enough that we weren't going to get stuck in post-show uh, post traffic. So that made up for the last hour of the ride. Right. right. It's a three-and-a-half-hour ride. First two-and-a-half hours were golden. We had a great time. Did we stop and get something to eat? Yeah, we stopped and got something to eat. It was perfect. Oh, we, yeah, we stopped at the, uh, the – I can't remember the name of the diner, but it was on 17. We were like, we're never going to – this is the one time we're ever going to be here. <laughs> and stopped and like – it was like absolutely dead. There was a, I mean, it yeah. was you and I and probably two other people. Yeah, a couple other guys came in. Yeah. Um, so the whole ride up there was good. The first two hours were good. The last hour sucked. And then that parking made up for all of that. It was great. So we walk in, uh, to the venue or we walk to the venue. I had worn the wrong shoes. That was a big problem. I have those, uh, those Clarks that I wear that have, uh, like the, I don't know. What do you call that kind of bottom? I don't know. Like the gum rubber. Gum. Yeah. The gum, gummy bottom, but they have no traction on them. Dude, I was wearing, I was wearing uh, Chuck Taylor. Chuck Taylor, right. <laughs> we were like two idiots who just got off the plane from Florida. <laughs> That's kind of right? true. That's kind of true. So we walk without killing ourselves. That was fine. We get in and we walk in at like, like exactly 8 o'clock, I'm pretty sure. And just enough time for you to grab a couple beers. We walk up to our seats. Boom, he breaks out. To start the show. Now, the show was called The River. Right. The, the concert. The tour is called The River Tour. And the reason they are touring is because they re-released The River. And for those folks who aren't Bruce Springsteen fan, he, he kind of summed it up. He said in introducing the concert or introducing The River to the crowd, he was like, this is my seminal album. He's like, this is what put me on the map. He said, my first two albums were, I was, a, I was a newbie. I was an outsider. I think that's what he said. I think he said, I'm an outsider. He's like, this album, he's like, I was trying to write it so I would be an insider. So he wanted commercial appeal. He wanted artistic appeal. Like he wanted to put an album on the map. And what he came out with was this double album that is, you know, one of his shining achievements and all of the diehard Bruce fans, I would probably say 80 to 90% of them would tag this as their favorite album. I think because it's got enough, it's got enough like classic Bruce songs to make it be like, okay, I could play this for a friend and they would get into it. But it's also got the requisite obscure songs that, you know, like any true Bruce fan, you know, goes gaga over. Right. So he um, he 
he set out to play this entire double album. Which, I mean, do you have the track list in front of you? Um, I'm bringing it up right now. But I, it's like I, what you and I talked about. Like, how he didn't even play the entire album and still somehow played like 25 songs. Like, No, I think he did. I think he ended up playing the entire album. If you played, he went 21. 21. Is it? Is that original 21? The track list is 21 deep. So, um, the, the new, the reissue of the album has more tracks than the original album. Right. Um, so from the original album, I'm almost sure that he played the whole thing. I'm going to call up the set list here. He probably pulled, yeah, he probably played the whole thing. But then once he went away from the, you know, the original album, then what he went into after that was... And not like I don't. It's not like I don't like the river. Um, I will fully admit it's not my favorite Bruce album. Um, but you know, I know it. I listened to it. You and I talked about it during the concert. Like, you know, it's just really long. Like you, you're used to maybe nine songs, ten songs, eleven songs, whatever it is. You're not used to twenty songs. Right. Great. So for and, for those who don't follow Bruce or or even really like Bruce. My mom doesn't like Bruce. My mom hates Bruce. <laughs> your mom is how your mom's from Long Branch. How is does she not yeah, like Bruce? I don't know. She just doesn't like it. But um the some of the key the key tracks on the river are um Independence Day. That's right. a, that's a track most people would know. Hungry Heart. Everybody's yeah. got a hungry heart. Yeah, who doesn't know Hungry Heart? Right. Um, out in the street is uh, out in the street. Whoa, uh, 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 I walk where I want to walk. Uh, 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 uh. Everybody right. knows that one. The um, river, ever the oh, river. I mean, the title album. I mean, I mean that's classic. Went down to the river. I mean, yeah, everyone knows it. Um, Cadillac Ranch, which is a fun song. Everybody knows. I was just about to bring that one up though, because that's such. I don't care if you like Bruce or you don't like Bruce. If you hear that song, I don't know how you can't not like it. Yeah. I know it's a, a double negative, but that song is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> it's just a fun song. And, and probably – we'll talk a little more about like the, the show as it went on. But as far as a, a moment that kind of brought me back, uh, the Cad- when he played Cadillac Ranch, it was – because there's a right. couple songs there. Crush on You – uh, you can look, but you can't touch. I want to marry you. Then he does the river, which is, you know, that's a sullen song. It's a great song, but it's slow. So there's four or five songs in a row that you're just like, oh my God, fucking play something fast. Right. Or you're like, and, I just, I just want to leave this show right now. <laughs> right. And, uh, the song right before Cadillac Ranch is a song called Point Blank, which I'd Point never Blank. heard before. And it's really slow and it's really just downtrodden and sullen um and then he plays cadillac ranch and and then it picks up for a couple songs but um well was cadillac ranch the one did someone throw was that the one that someone threw a sign up on stage or he no no that was at the end so what he does is he'll play a, a whole show and then at the end of the show he doesn't take a set break and he doesn't take an off stage encore he just right. stays on stage 
takes a little break. Maybe it introduces the band. Maybe they turn the lights down and turn them back up again so you know that it's technically the encore or whatever. Um, and he takes songs from the audience. Like people right. hold up signs. That was during the encore. Or that was during... Yeah, that was during the encore. Um, sure. So he took a bunch of signs. He, I think he typically just does it during the encore. Um, Unfortunately, he did not take the Syracuse sign. No. So the way it was set up was um, it was a GA floor, as we say in the business. Uh, in the all business. the all of the seats on the floor. So it was a hockey arena. Right. It was a Times Union Center. Um, so picture, you know, a concert in an arena. The stage is at one end. The cool thing about Bruce is that he plays to um, an open back stage. Mm-hmm. So he, people behind him, there's seats behind him. It's not closed off. So And he actually goes back <clears throat> and he plays to that part of the, of the arena, which is cool. So the whole arena is full. But on the floor, it's GA. So general mission, no seats standing but it's cut in two because apparently what he does for this show is he walks down and then there's like a a little walkway that's cordoned off from the rest of the floor and then he walks up on like a catwalk that separates the front of the GA from the back of the GA and in the back of the GA there was a dude who was holding up a sign that well, I, I couldn't read it from where I was. My eyes are so bad. But it was said something <laughs> Syracuse. Right? Cuse, cuse. Yeah. So he goes out and he walks up onto the catwalk and he's singing out there. And, he's you know, he's being Bruce. He's a showman, man. Say, like his music, don't like his music. Love the river, don't love the river. The guy is three and a half hours of nonstop energy and he puts on a show. I don't care what his tickets cost. You get your money's worth every single time. Oh, exactly. Yeah, I mean that was, that was my first show, and literally, I think even like at the at that point, like I was so excited. But I think after like you know two and a half hours, I was like, uh, I'd like to go home right now. <laughs> like I'm so tired. But he just kept going and kept going and kept going. I'm like, okay, this is absolutely worth. Like he, he's just a, like a great entertainer. Yeah, he's up there. Three best concerts I've ever seen. Um, him, the Foo Fighters, and Beyonce. And the thing they all have in common, despite the fact they play three different types of music, are they love their fans and their showmen. And like right. they, they put it all on the floor. Such a, such a good, such a good performer. Um, so he goes out <coughs> and he walks that little catwalk thing, like probably the first or second song, right? Yeah, I will say it was, uh, it was quite early, like with it in the show where he just kind of walked out, you know, from on top of the stage, kind of into the crowd. It's pretty amazing. Like just kind of like got everyone excited about it. Yeah. So he just like hops off stage. You're like, where'd he go? And then he's walking down on this little, uh, this little area that they obviously cleared for him. And then he goes up onto a catwalk between the front GA and the back GA. And, he stays up there for a while, but at some point he just falls backwards and starts to crowd surf from the catwalk back to the stage. Right. And I think it was about halfway 
across the crowd that I think we both looked at each other and were like, he's not going to make it. This is not going to work out well. (laughs) (laughs) I counted two occasions when I thought he was definitely going down. And like, what's the, what's the plan? You know, if Bruce Springsteen gets swallowed up by, you know, 2,500 of his most adoring fans, security can't get to him. Right. And I, th- I think we we talked about that. We were kind of joking about that during the show, saying, um, I don't care who you are as a security guard or, like, whether it's security for the arena or security for Bruce, you're not getting <laughs> to him in any timely fashion. Like, no, he's, no, no. He's, he's done. Like, not like anyone's going to beat him up or anything, but, like, He's going to get mauled <laughs> in a good yeah, way. like dead man walking. Yeah, yeah, he's totally – like no one's going to mean to harm him. But some of those people, that's their dream, you know? <laughs> it, they're like, oh my god, I punched Bruce Springsteen. This is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't necessarily mean punch no, him. I, I mean know, like I know, I know. hug him, maul him, you know, just get a little Bruce love. Right, but in, in wanting to hug them, they're not going to realize like – their left hook or their right hook <laughs> to go and grab him. Totally. Because they're fighting 2,500 other people exactly. to give him a hug. Exactly. They're going to go, oh my god, Bruce, I love you, I love you, I love you. And go, you just punched Bruce Springsteen in the face. Like, yeah. what were you thinking? So, he makes it back to the stage much to both of our reliefs. I was, I was seriously worried. Well, it reminds me of um, when I was a little kid, we used to go to uh, Six Flags. We had season passes to Six Flags. In Jackson. and Yes, in Jackson, New Jersey. Six Flags, Great Adventure. If you're a local, you just call it Great Adventure. But to the greater listening population, they, they will know it as a Six to Flags. To the people from Syracuse, New York, who don't know it as Six Flags, Great Adventure. Exactly. So there was a diving show that... Um, they had a plant in the audience and the guy goes up to the high dive, like the highest, highest dive. And he gets ready to go and they're like, please, can we have silence? This is a very, you know, dangerous maneuver, blah, blah, blah. And some guy in the audience yells out some type of shenanigans, right? And they're like, sir, you know, please be quiet. And he's like, no, you guys suck. And they're like, do you think you could do any better? And he comes out of the stands and he does like this comic you know, clown diving routine. It's really funny. And everybody's like, aha, that's great. We thought he was a, you know, a, a real serious guy, blah, blah, blah. But I didn't think it was funny because I thought it was too dangerous right. for this guy to interrupt the high dive. And I became so nervous after that, that somebody else would think they were funny. So maybe I didn't really understand that he was a plant in the audience. <laughs> maybe after all these years, I, I'm a little slow. Maybe looking back on it. But that's what I was, you know, I was just kind of worried about, like, that something was going to go wrong. And it was going to kind of mar the whole show. Right. But do you, do you actually think he was a plant in the audience? Or he was just, a, you know, for lack of a better term, he was like a dick. And... It was just, you know, he was out there to go, I got this, you know, like, just throw out, like, a stupid comment. When I was eight? Yeah. No, no, he was a plant, because then he got up and he did dives. Oh, uh, okay, got it. 
like fun, funny dives. Like he bounced from one diving board to the other diving board and then did a dive and then was being chased around by the security. And, you know, he was just doing – he was part of the act. Right. He was part of the show. Okay. But I knew he was part of the show. But what I was worried about was that some other Yahoo – would take it upon himself to interrupt the show because he didn't understand that this was <laughs> this was part of the act. As an eight year old, I'm over intellectualizing <laughs> the entire dive free diving show at Six Flags, thinking that the other adults in the audience or the adults, I'm eight, I think the adults in the audience aren't going to have the cognitive ability to understand that the plant was part of the show. <laughs> Like, no, mom, dad, you guys don't understand what's going on right now. I've already figured this out. You guys aren't seeing, you guys aren't visualizing this right now. I know exactly what's going to happen. I need to help you. Um, so that's what it was like. I was, I was really nervous that if Bruce fell, like, what was, what were the repercussions going to be? And that there weren't enough people who understood the gravity of the situation, but um, needless to say, he made it back to the stage. Well, he made it back to the stage thanks uh, uh, from the help of Clarence Clemens and uh, nephew, who Jake Clemens. remember when he yes. you know dropped his sax and threw it in his right hand to kind of pull him back up on stage. I was like, oh, yeah, cool. Which, um, which I don't know if he was getting back up on stage. Except for the help of Jake Clemens. I, I, I don't think he would have made it on stage without his help. <laughs> so thank God for Jake Clemens. Like, not only does he play a killer sax, I think he might have saved Bruce Springsteen's life. Um, um, and actually, that, hey, that I, I don't mean to cut you off. That actually leads me to one of the things that we've been talking about since the concert of how cool it was. Was it on Born to Run? Um where when the saxophone solo went on, Jake didn't play until – I'm not a musical guy. Would it be like the second verse or, or second tone or whatever, the and then he jumped in? Yeah. So we've been kind of talking about this, and a, and a Bruce geek will, will, will know this, and, they'll, and they're probably screaming at their – at their radios right now saying, you idiots, it's not Born to Run, it's Thunder Road. No, it's Thunder, it's Road. Thunder Road. Yeah. But I, I don't know. It's either Born to Run or Thunder Road because he played both of those songs back to back. Right. So what he did was he played the entire River album, all 20 whatever songs, and then he went into a short set of just killer classics. Right. Like just burn the roof off the place with uh, – like Badlands and Thunder Road and Born to Run and Badlands. The Rising and Because of the Night. Like, it was unbelievable. Oh, the Because um, of the Night was amazing. Do not agree. That was Oh, it was, um, that was absolutely unbelievable. He, I had heard that he had done that, and, I, and I'd heard that it just it killed every single time. But he played Thunder Road and Born to Run back to back, and one of those songs he wrote specifically – with Clarence Clemens in mind. He's like, oh, well, this is going to be a, a, a pivotal part of the song. Um, the sax solos are going to just carry the tune. And Thunder Road and Born to Run have great feature the sax. Right. But one of them is the iconic Clarence Clemens song. And I don't remember which one it is. It might be Born to Run. But you're right. At one point, it came time for that solo. 
and Jay Clemens didn't play it. And you're like, huh, that's weird. Doesn't the sax solo go here? Then the song comes around, and then the solo comes back again. And he made a little gesture to the, you know, to the sky, nodded his head, and then he went into it and killed it. It was, it was awesome. It was, right. it was really good. It was, it was great. Um, so, like top to bottom, uh, we've talked about this quite a bit, um, and I think you summarized it quite well. The, the only problem with the the river tour is the river. <laughs> there's too much river. Which is, which is funny. Um, hey, before uh, before I forget, I lose track. You uh, you've lost track of your microphone up there. I can tell. Oh, damn it! So get uh, yeah, so much better. You have that goddamn scarf on. Yeah, I have my I have my circus scarf on. Who what, who are you who are you primping for here? Um, the fact that I live and breathe, live and die by Syracuse. Yeah, well, your microphone's rubbing up against it. People are going to be clicking out. They're going to be like, I want to hear Sanders. I need to hear Sanders for the 92nd time over the last two years. And they're like, but that goddamn Roscoe and his microphone are clicking the shit out of everything. Yeah, but then I'm going to become like the cool guy, Roscoe. They're like, we can't really understand Roscoe perfectly. That's because he's that guy. <laughs> like, he has, his, he has his microphone, like, kind of right up against his beard, maybe right up against his scarf. They don't know. Like, he's burying his microphone into a scarf, making feedback. He's slurping down wine, and he's eating sausages. What the fuck's wrong with this guy? Sauvignon Blanc, <laughs> delicious. <laughs> um, yeah, hey, just be careful of the mic because it is—it's driving me crazy. Oh, sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm holding it in my hand in front of my. All right. <laughs> All right. We got about fifteen minutes to go, so if you can hang tight for that, I think we'll be in good shape. Fifteen minutes, folks. Fifteen minutes. Let's go. Let's go, folks. All right. So, um, like you said, and I think you summarized it very well, that the only problem with the river was there's too much river. And the guy sitting behind me – now, I don't understand how you could not know that he was going to play the entire album of the river because the tour is called The River. Right. Exactly. (laughs) And the guy behind us, about four or five songs into the show, he turns to his wife and says, honey – I can't believe this. He hasn't missed a beat yet. He's played the first four songs to the river in order. <laughs> exactly. Well, what when you bought tickets, what, what what tickets did you buy? It was called Bruce Springsteen, The River Tour. Right. So, hence, right. he's playing The River. <laughs> like, so, <laughs> I mean, I understand... I understand not being a super, super Bruce fan. And, like, maybe the guy doesn't – he's got better things to do with his life than go on message boards and chat rooms and Bruce Springsteen fan sites, etc. But if I got a ticket that said The River, I'd probably look it up and say, hey, I wonder if he's going to play the entire album The River. And all you have to do is just Google Bruce Springsteen River Tour and every first line is Bruce Springsteen set out on an ambitious task of of playing his River album live at this latest tour, blah, blah, blah. Right. So I thought that was kind of funny. No, I thought that was kind of funny. Yeah, no, it's, it, 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 it is funny because it's, it's more asinine than anything to go, wait, did you really not actually think about this? Like if I bought... You know, tickets to a Bruce Springsteen concert was like, Born to Run. Like, 
okay, I'm expecting to see Born to Run. Let's do it. Right. But, you know what would be funny is if he if he showed up and didn't play any of the river. Right. You know? <laughs> Talk about a mind fuck. Like, wait, what's going on right now? What's going on? This doesn't make sense. Now, then the guy would be warranted. He'd be like, honey, we're four songs into the concert, and he hasn't played a single river song. <laughs> but then again, no one would ever say, Wow, he hasn't played enough River songs yet. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Like, it's a great album, exactly. but like you and I were talking about during the concert, um, it's th- that album is so long. You know, you don't like. I guess like it, it's probably one of the one albums you don't you don't like. Yeah, well, how do I say it? You don't. You don't take it as like your own album like you don't like say oh this is my favorite song or this is my favorite song or this is my favorite song it's just so long that yeah you kind the of average get dr- fan you, you, you get drowned out in the album itself and go okay i just listened to it like i love springsteen but i don't you know track four is not my favorite track five is not my, like i i just don't care I, I'm, I'm gonna jump into another album does that make sense? Right. You might you might want to pick one or two songs off this if you're in the mood to listen to the river and you listen to one or two songs for a casual fan. Right. And like I I think you that you you love Bruce. I think you're a big Bruce fan. I'd consider myself a, a more than casual Bruce fan at this point. But I I'm I'm still not the guy who sits and listens to the river. I I don't I don't think you can. Like I I, I don't know how anyone does, and anyone that yeah. actually does. I don't think that they're. I think it's more of like a. I think it's more of like a fake Springsteen fan. They're like, "Oh, the river's so amazing!" Like, what? Well, what? What's amazing about the river? Why are you saying the river's amazing? Like, I understand. I can I can sit there and I can listen to it and whatnot, but really, you're you're really gonna count that as like one of his like best albums, or you want to sit there and like go through the lyrics and whatnot. Like, I don't, I, I don't think it's a... Yeah, no, I, I understand what you're saying. I understand what you're saying. I, I think the most die-hard Bruce fans do. They can sit down and listen to the river. Because I think a lot of them, like I said, do count that as their favorite album. But for guys like you and I, who have a high musical uh, appreciation, we have a high musical IQ, uh, Even even I'm not buying into the fact that you know, the river is his best album. Um, you know, my favorite albums of his are, are the first two that he did, are uh, are Greetings from Asbury Park right. and um, um, the Wild and Innocent and the East Street Shuffle. Like those are just two like hard rocking albums, and that's what I love about Bruce. And I think the majority of the fans, ninety five percent, are like us. Right. You know. I think there's a 5% out there who appreciate that level of commitment that the that listening to the river takes. Um, but I think, I mean, I wouldn't call everybody else posers, but I think the average casual Bruce fan is rocking out to Badlands, to back, um, to, uh, you know, Born to Run, right. Rosalita, which are, you know, which are the classics. Well, 
Uh, speaking of that, I mean, think about that. Like, you know, I would go and greetings uh, from Ezra Park. Absolutely amazing. Think about how apeshit I went during the concert when Badlands got played. I was so pumped. When Rosalita got played, you know, I, 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 I was looking at, you know, the set list from the previous concerts. You know, once that, once those two songs got played, I was gone. Like, I could care less how many, you know, if you want 20, 25, 30 songs beforehand, didn't matter to me. He played Rosalita. He played Badlands. And he didn't just kind of play them. They went crazy. Like, Niels Lofren went just went crazy on the guitar. You know what I mean? Was that, did he, I was trying to think, what song did he do that for? Rosalita? Rosalita. He went, he, it was like a, he had like a five or six minute solo just going crazy. And then, and he did this spin thing. Yep. I mean, the guy's got to be 60 years old, yeah. but he's doing this one legged spin, like a helicopter thing around and round and round and round and round while playing guitar. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to puke just watching yep. him. And he just went. But he didn't. He went crazy. He didn't miss a beat. Yeah, man, it was great. Like they're they're just such showmen. But the thing with the river, you know, kind of moving backwards away from. So like twenty one song, twenty songs on the river, right? So songs two to twenty one are are the river. Then songs twenty two to thirty four are Badlands, Wrecking Ball. Yep. Um, Backstreets, Be True, then he goes Because the Night, then The Rising, uh, then the Thunder night. Road, then Born to Run, then he takes out of the um, out of the crowd, he takes a sign, then he plays Detroit Medley, then he plays Dancing in the Dark, and during Dancing in the Dark, he pulls a sign out of the the um, out of the crowd and he puts it up to the camera, and the sign says, "My mom, up until now, my mom." No, at my mom's wedding, she sang, born. She sang Rosalita into a vacuum hose. Oh, I remember. Um, <laughs> Why was there a vacuum like, like, at, the, at the wedding? <laughs> right. So you got to figure it was in the eighties or you know seventies right. or whatever. And <laughs> so it said, "Let me see if I can pull it up here." It said, uh, "My mom sang Rosalita to a vacuum at her wedding. Please." dance with her so she has a better Bruce story and he grabs the mom and pulls her up on stage and dances with her to dancing in the dark and it's cool like that's one of the things he does you know and then he goes into Rosalita and then uh, at that point we had taken off we once we heard Rosalita because originally I had said um, I've heard that they close every show with shout from the Isley Brothers. Right. You make me want to shout, kick your heels up and shout. I've heard that song a hundred times. I don't need to hear it. Right. Yeah, I don't want to hear it. I said, I said, let's, you know, I told you ahead of time, once they get to shout, boom, we're hitting the road. So I said, fine. And you're like, cool. After Rosalita, there was a little bit of miscommunication between you and I, and you apparently said, do you want to go now? And I gave you the thumbs up. And you took off down the aisle, and I was like, oh, shit. I answered the wrong question. So 
we take off and then we go outside and then sure enough they played Bobby Jean and then they they closed with shout. So we we bolted a song earlier but um it was all good. You had to take a piss so I got to hear Bobby Jean and and we were out by shout anyway. So um all in all it was a good like that last third of the concert was just like nonstop exactly what you'd want to hear. If you went and heard those 12 songs You'd be like, that was the most amazing concert I've ever been to, you know? Right. Yeah, I w- I w- I've never complained about it. Throw in the fact that you got to hear a pretty good concert in the river um, helps. But also, the river gives you plenty of time to do some people watching. And there were definitely a lot of people to people watch. Sure, Jim. Um, and the first, well, the first person I noticed, because Jeremy Jam doesn't show up until well later because it took him a long time to get drunk. He didn't, but the, exactly. He didn't show up for like two and a half hours. Yeah. Now, I'd seen him walk up and down, and I noticed that he was obviously drunk and he couldn't find his friends. But um, does he have, the first person. Does he have friends? <laughs> that remains to be seen I don't know But the first person I noticed was about 10 or so songs into the Into the show And uh, he played a song A love song And I couldn't remember what it was Till you pointed it out um, That it was I, I want to marry you Right And it's a chick And she's sitting in front of us And she's with a guy Who I assume is her husband But Or boyfriend or whatever But when um, When he's playing I Want to Marry You Which I'd never really heard before It's a slow song um, And It's obviously a a love song And he's playing it And she's texting some guy (laughs) And she And this is kind of what an asshole I am I'm watching her I'm reading her text over her shoulder and uh, she writes, hey, they're playing I Want to Marry You. I remember when you sang that to me. Um, it makes me cry. I'm crying a little right now. And at first, I was like, who could she be texting? But obviously, she's texting. It's not her dad. I thought it was a – It was. she's like, oh, you used to sing me this song. And uh, And I'm like, oh, maybe it's a song her dad sang. And then – it's I want to marry you, and I'm like, oh, it can't be your dad. She's like, I, I'm, I'm crying right now. So obviously she's texting a dude, and of course, up. She doesn't get a text back, <laughs> and now I feel horrible for this chick. Like she's bearing her soul to this person on the other side, and he's not answering her back. He had answered her her initial text. Of, hey, I'm at the Bruce concert, and they're playing that song you used to sing me. And he's like, oh, what song? And she says, I want to marry you. And she goes into this whole emotional connection with this guy, and he doesn't he doesn't text back. And I'm like, oh, my God, she's going to be heartbroken. And she puts her phone away, and then a few minutes later, she goes and she checks her phone, and he doesn't text back, and she puts it away. And a few minutes later, she goes and checks her phone, and he doesn't text back. And I'm like, this is heartbreaking, man. I felt so bad for her. Like, I don't know if it's her husband or her ex-husband or her boyfriend or her ex-boyfriend or, or what, but obviously she had a connection, and she's texting with this guy, and he decided to take that exact moment <laughs> To go radio silent and not communicate back with her. <laughs> and from that point on, I, I could tell she wasn't as into the concert 
as she was for the first couple songs. She just kind of sat there and she kind of just vegged out a little bit. Yeah, but then kind of screw her. She was with that guy that was in front of us. Like, so she was there at the concert with him. Yeah, but you know what? Then I watched them and they weren't lovey-dovey. Maybe they were just buddies. Right. Like maybe they were Bruce buddies, you know? But, uh, I get what you're saying. I get what you're saying. You know? And... Which led me to believe she she wasn't with that other guy anymore because he obviously sang her a Bruce song. And if he was such a Bruce fan, why wouldn't he be at the concert with her, you right. know? Right, yeah. So, so I, went, I stopped short of inventing an entire backstory of, the, of this woman. But you have. But I, I, did, I did delve deep enough uh, into my own imagination to know that whatever she was trying to communicate wasn't being reciprocated and I felt really, really bad for her. Right. But luckily, Comic Relief interjected and Jeremy Jam introduced himself. Boom! Jeremy Jam! So a, couple, a couple times during the show, I noticed this, like, frizzy hair, bearded, douchey-looking kid. It wasn't even frizzy. Walking. It was, he had a perm. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was, like, permed out. That is true. He, um... It's the kind of thing like when you leave your seat at a concert and you're kind of drunk and you come back and you don't know exactly where your seat is and you do like that that meerkat that meerkat search where you're just like from side to side and and you're just frantically searching the horizon for something we'll just that you can yeah and that's what he's doing and but he's also fall like he's gonna fall and you know he's distracting me now i could just ignore him but i can't just ignore him because one that's not my personality and two he's in my way well so now i have to watch him now i've taken a liking to him Uh, not a liking to him i've taken notice of him and he's just really fucking annoying (laughs) and he went up and down our stairs at least three or four times during the concert and i'm like motherfucker you're not sitting here (laughs) Like yeah, this is not your seat. This is not your row. Don't get, just go 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 somewhere else. Go somewhere else, literally. <laughs> so Bruce starts singing "Wrecking Ball," which is not it's not a particularly <laughs> classic Bruce song. No, it's a relatively new song. Um, he's, you've got he's talking. You've got an, He's talking about you've. Tear him down the middle lanes. Like it's, right, right. It's not and, if, <laughs> and if you're from Jersey, you have a little bit of an attachment to it. Because he opened MetLife Stadium. He was the first event at MetLife Stadium. Right. Or at least the first concert, I think. I think it was the first event. And he debuted Wrecking Ball there. Uh, listen, if you're a huge Bruce fan and you want to tell me he didn't debut Wrecking Ball there, that's fine. But... In terms of lore of Wrecking Ball, like that's where it came on the scene. And he talks about it's, you know, it's breaking down the old uh, Meadowlands Stadium, blah, blah, blah. So, unless you're from Jersey, you really have no attachment to that song. I don't know. Maybe Jeremy Jam's from New Jersey. So, <laughs> whatever. But he he's standing in the aisle well, next he's, to us. He's barely standing. Barely standing barely in standing. the aisle next to us. And it's almost like he took his belt and looped it around the the handrail so he wouldn't fall over. And he's jamming out 
to Wrecking Ball. Right. He's just jamming out to Wrecking Ball. He's just pumping his fist, fist. pumping, just going to but he's, crazy. He's not. He's not on on key. Yeah. Or on he's not on beat at all. He, he's not on beat. Just throw, he's just, just throwing his, his his fist out. Like, but every once in a while he'll hit the beat, <laughs> so it looks like he thinks he knows what he's doing. <laughs> and I'm like, oh my god, he's fucking annoying. <laughs> And at this point, I know you had just watched the entire season of of Parks and Rec, and I lean over and I go, "He looks just like fucking Jeremy Jam, Councilman Jam." And from that point on, it made him even funnier. It's true because I knew when you were looking at him, you were looking at Jeremy Jam. It's Jam. It's Jam. Right. It's all the rest of Jam. So. Wrecking Ball was the 23rd song that he played, right? So he plays another 10 songs after that. Oh, my God. He went up and down the stairs at least two other times after Wrecking Ball. And then eventually I found him. I watched him go and find a seat two sections over on on an aisle seat, which amazes me. He had an aisle seat the entire time. What the fuck was he doing walking around? He just wanted to walk around. Because oh he had his, God. he had the the flashlight on his phone the entire time, going, "Wait, oh, is this the right row? No, it's not the right row. No, is this the right no. row? Oh, I'm going here. I'm like, just fucking at this point, just sit down, just sit right. down. We're all having fun right now. Just hey, jam. It might be the right <laughs> row, but it's the wrong section. And at this point, no one gives a shit if you're in the wrong section." Just you know who was <laughs> you know who was psyched his friends because they didn't have to hang out with him. That's that, that's probably actually completely true. They're like right? Wait, right. you guys took care of him tonight? Um, yeah, we did. Thanks. You so you owe us twenty bucks. Like so he um he added some comic relief um which was kind of cool. <laughs> But one of the reasons one of the reasons I started really listening to Bruce is because we've talked about this before, you and I. Is I appreciate lyricism. I, I appreciate the poetry of lyrics. Right. Um I know you're a huge fan of guitar play. I know you're a huge fan of of, of rhythm, rhythm melody. Yep. And I I just really invest in lyrics, and besides Bob Dylan, I'm gonna say Bruce is probably probably my favorite in terms of lyricism, and I, I've attached, uh, I put a little, um, I've invested a little bit of time and effort over the last year or two to get you know into some of his lyrics, right. and um, he is he's playing the the. He's playing the uh, the river, and he gets to this uh, stolen car, and he does a little banter every once in a while about songs. Like he talked about um, Independence Day was about uh, a song about his father, um, who I've read a few things, and they weren't particularly close, and they kind of had a little bit of a, a strenuous relationship, and so I think that's kind of cool that he gives a little insight to some of these songs and whatnot. And he talks about stolen car. And he says, he says, this is a song. 
it's a song about love. And the, I guess really the question is, and I wrote this down because it had an, it, it was pretty impactful for me. Um, and he says, when you lose love, do you lose yourself? And I was like, wow, that's pretty, that's pretty deep. That's pretty deep. But I didn't have to think long about it. And I said, no, that's not, that's not the truth. I said, that's not the truth. Now, this is where the podcast gets a little deep. And, and I know you're a Two Sorry Excuses fan, Roscoe, but I, yeah. I, I don't know if you listen to any of the episodes religiously. But some of our more, um, some of our more devout listeners are uh, critical of when Liv and I get a little too existential. And we we do we dive deep into uh, you know into personal reactions. Um, there's a podcast where Liv and I talk about a conversation we had with Jerry Dellis or John Dellis on our trip up to Syracuse, and Liv and I get super deep on it, and people gave us shit about it. They're like, "Well, first of all, we didn't we're not downloading this to hear you guys get super deep. Second of all, we don't want to hear you get super deep with John Dellis." <laughs> but then you want to go back at them and go. Then why the fuck are you downloading us? Like, well, this is right, what we're doing. And, right, and I try not to get into a, I try not to get confrontational with the people that download the podcast because if they stop downloading, then that kind of sucks, you know. <laughs> but I like to warn them. This is where the compromise comes in. I like to warn them when we're gonna get, when we're gonna get deep. And and if you'll indulge me, I'm I'm gonna get a little deep here on stolen cars, uh, because I thought. I thought his sentiment was impactful, but I think it's – I don't think it's correct. Okay. And I, maybe he posed it as a question, right? Yeah. And w- without getting too personal because we try not to get too, too personal. Even when we get deep, we try not to get personal. But I think this is something that you can relate to. Oh, we're going feel, to. Feel, feel free to speak to, to any to – any, level that you're comfortable with but um i had thought about this and and i've thought about this before and and i think that's why it resonated with me and he says you know when you use lo- when you lose love do you lose yourself and he asks the question he poses the question then he plays the he plays stolen cars which i'm guessing is his attempt to answer that question right, right. now like we've said we're not huge river fans right so I don't know if I've ever heard that song before. So maybe a Bruce fan is like, yes, of course, when you when you lose love, you lose yourself. That's what the lyrics are about, you know, obviously. Um, and to a non-seasoned fan, maybe it's just a question that's supposed to make you d- dive deeper into this song. I mean, the lyrics are, I met a little girl and I settled down in a little house on the edge of town. We got married and swore we'd never part. Uh, Then little by little, we drifted from each other's hearts. Blah, 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 right? It's a typical love song. Um, And maybe you put those pieces together and you're like, yes, okay, this guy lost his love. And by the end of the night, he's stealing cars and he's driving a stolen car in a pitch black night. I'm telling myself I'm going to be all right. But I ride by the night. And I travel in fear. This is the darkness. I'll disappear. Uh, that in this darkness, I'll disappear. So what he's saying is, is I was in love. And then now I don't have this love. And now I'm doing fucked up shit. I, I stole a car. I'm driving off. I don't care if I ever come back, whether he's going to, you know, drive his car off the road or, you know, drive into the distance and blah, blah, blah. 
So that's kind of the easy connection to make. But I, I disagree. And this is, this is why I disagree. Because I think it's inverted. I think it's reversed. I think it's when you lose yourself. That's what precipitates or what's the word I'm looking for? That's it. Uh, it's the precursor. It precipitates. That means it's raining. No, I don't mean it rains. <laughs> I mean it's the precursor. It in, it in so, fact is going to make rain come. Correct. <laughs> Among other things, it's going to make rain come. But when you lose yourself, I think that is the precursor to losing everything else. And, of course, one of those things is, is going to be love, right? When, when, when you change, when you lose a sense of yourself, that's probably the greatest... That's probably the greatest thing that you own is a sense of self. How's effort deep? Write that down. Well, actually, that's kind of where I was going to go with my next comment. And it's true, right? I mean, I think that's when people when people find themselves out of whack, when people find themselves in a place that they're not happy with. I don't think it's the place that made them unhappy. I think that they got to the place because something went wrong inside. Something went wrong internally. Something went wrong with your sense of self, whatever that is. Maybe you never had it, and therefore you drifted. Or maybe it was such a drastic turn that it caused you to go off course. But I think that's the, I think that's the the message. And the song kind of leads you down a path that he asked the question, but is you know he's. He is, um, what's the word I'm looking for? He is presupposing the answer to. Okay. He, so he asks the question, well, when you lose love, do you lose yourself? And then he sings a song that answers that question in the affirmative. I disagree. I think it's the other way around. Okay. So I, I, I get what you're saying, but I just, I've never thought about it the way that you just, you, you just brought it up, um, that someone else someone hasn't thought about it from I've always thought about like, you know, I love that we're talking about this, um, one floor, uh, above. And <laughs> like, this, this, <laughs> um, no, the fact that like, I've never thought about like someone not thinking about it. Cause I think I've always thought about it. Like if something went wrong or something, was right, you know, you know, whatever it was, like, what you know, what you know, going through a relationship with someone, like being in love, or you know, understanding someone, or someone understanding you, and and whatnot. Never, never thought about not thinking about it that way. Um, but no, I, I does it make sense that I'm 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 thinking like if someone doesn't think about it then that's more awkward than if they do. Like, I think that they should. Like, yeah, I think I, I'm kind of following. So, I'm kind of following. You're saying, like, to you, that thought, that sentiment is second nature. Yeah. Of course, that's the, that's the logical conclusion that you make of an illogical situation. Yeah. Something's going to... Why wouldn't anybody think that? Right. Something's going to happen. But... If, so, you don't want anything to happen, but if it does... You've already thought about it. Yeah. Well, I think the way he poses it 
is a much more romantic notion, right? Okay. Love is love is the greatest thing, and when I lose that, I've kind of got nothing else, right? And who hasn't been there? Yeah, but I, but Sandman, like, you know, love is the there. greatest thing. But does that mean like you you're in love with someone because you haven't thought about it, or you have thought about it? You've just thought about love anyway, like, or you're in love with someone. It, it at, at that point, it doesn't matter if like if you have or you haven't thought about it. You're just in love with them. If you're in love with someone, you're in love with someone, right? Yeah, but what I'm what I'm saying is that his sentiment of of love and losing love is that the the love and the loss of love comes first. You get changed by that. I just right? completely disagree. You disagree with him, absolutely. Right? So do I. So do I. I say that the reason you find love is because because somebody else found value in a in a part of you. Right. Right? Whether it's your humor, whether it's, you know, whether it's your caring nature, whether it's your forgiving, you know, whether it's your super hot, whoever, whatever, you know, they they find something that can that they make a connection with. Right. And then when you lose that connection you lose that part of yourself that's when the love goes away that's when you lose the love right right that's a more realistic a more practical more logical explanation of that chain of events his is very romantic in the sense that love is the driving force and without love i change but chances are Somebody did something. I did something. You did something that that somebody was like, "Wait a minute, the fuck, are you doing?" Exactly. What what happened? You know, that's not the person. You're not. That's not it. Right. And then it goes away. So, you know, I think, you know, he poses that question. I think a lot of people are just like, "Oh yeah, cool, okay, yeah, you're right." You know, love. I I lost love, and I was bummed out afterwards. Of course, you're going to be bummed out, but. That's not changing who you are. Chances are you changed who you are well before that. Right. So, um, so that kind of stuck with me, and um, you know, I kind of, I kind of thought about that, and you know, kind of pondered it. Uh, the good news is that there was only four or five more songs after that before he started rocking out. Otherwise I would have been hanging myself from the rafters in the TD bank or times Albany union. You know, I got this, I got this, I got the rope. I got it. I'm doing it. What's going on? Got it. We're done. But it was a, it was a poignant moment in a show where you normally, you know, you don't take time out to think about it, but I think that's the point of, of Springsteen. And and I and I think this is a good place to wrap it up. Is that he has that connection? You know what I mean. He's kind of like your buddy who is dropping some wisdom on you, and you can sit and you can talk and and absorb these things. And then you know, fifteen or twenty minutes into the conversation, you're like, "All right, let's change the subject and get the fuck out of here. Let's you know, let's go get a drink." In his in in his universe, it's all right. Get me out of this. Play Badlands. <laughs> right. No, I get that. And th- I mean, that makes sense. Like, that, you know, that's like what completely what you kind of just said. And like, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll say 
my brother's been beating Springsteen down my throat since I was six or seven. Um, but then I get to a certain point, you know, got to a certain age where, you know, I've, jo- I've joked with you about Brilliant Disguise. Brilliant Disguise is like my favorite Springsteen song. And people can hate it. They can love it. They can make fun of me for loving it or whatnot. But that's kind of the same thing. It's I can listen to those words in that song and go, holy shit, this makes sense. You know, and it's what you're just saying about, like, you know, could beat myself or, you know, I'm listening to X, Y, and Z or whatnot. Um, and at a certain point, it just kind of makes sense. And does it make sense to anyone else? If it doesn't, who cares? <laughs> like, it's personal to you or it's personal to I, you know, to me. Um it's the boss, and it's the boss. Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense, man. Perfect sense. Um, I would say that's the perfect place to end our first Sweat Sock Pimps podcast. Thanks for, thanks for indulging us. Thanks for listening to the side project. Thanks for downloading it, most importantly, even if you didn't listen to it. Really appreciate that. And... Um, uh, st- st- stay tuned. Stay tuned. We don't know what the uh, what the greetings from Asbury Park podcast is going to have in uh, in store for us in the future. But we do make a promise that uh, we'll work out our technical difficulties. We'll have a little less um, uh, a little less feedback, a little less noise, maybe a little less wine, maybe a little more coordination, maybe a little more pre production. But um, less wine would probably help. <laughs> but we won't skimp on enthusiasm we won't skimp on deep dives into the self the subconscious of of two babbling knuckleheads so uh with that said don't trust men who walk with canes hey bus driver keep the change bless your children give them names don't trust men who walk with canes Drink this and in a week you'll have wings on your feet Broadway Mary Joan Fontaine Advertiser on the downtown train Christmas crier busting cane He's in love again Well dock workers dreams mixed with panther schemes To someday own the rodeo at the late show Well, wizard imps and sweat sock pimps mixed with interstellar mongrel nymphs Rex said his lady left him limp Well, you know love's like that Well, Mary Lou found out how to cope She rides to heaven on a gyroscope Daily News asks her for the dope And she says, man, the dopes That there's still hope Well, my queen of diamonds Ace of spades Newly discovered lovers of the Everglades Take out a full page ad in the trades To announce their arrival Well, and senorita Spanish road 
wipes her eyes and blows her nose Uptown in Harlem she throws a rose To some lucky young matador